the one and only Cliff Richard and the Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome to episode 14 of the We Say Yeah podcast, a monthly unofficial Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and LP in mostly chronological order. We have a great show lined up for you this month with our guest Darren Price from Cliff Richard Radio, but first, some reaction to last month's episode about the first Shadows LP with returning guest Mark Cunningham. Over on the We Say Yeah Facebook page, Frederick Mercier, I believe that's how you pronounce it, writes, My first LP, I even asked my beloved mother to knit me a pullover. He's referring to what the Shadows are wearing on the cover of their first LP. Frederick, I really respect this. I do. I really do. Richard Wink writes, Really enjoyed this episode. The sound is so mature for musicians barely out of their teens. We know Bruce played second lead on Nivram. I wonder if he did the same on Filet Place or whether Hank double-tracked his lead guitar. Now, John Wink, underneath that, writes, Richard Wink, now you have me wondering. I'm assuming there's some kind of connection here between Richard Wink and John Wink. It's just too much of a coincidence that we would have two wondering Winks. By the way... That should be an act. The Wondering Winks. All right. Mark J. Daniels writes, Fabulous podcast, fellas. Really enjoyed it. Cracking series so far. Well done. Thanks so much, Mark. And Ronald had a really, Ronald Herzer had a really good comment here. Greetings from Berlin. Amazing podcast. I went recently through all of the episodes in one go. Thanks so much for that. One question. What about Cliff's record releases in foreign languages? For example, in German. He had huge success here at least in the beginning, when his German-language records outsold even his originals and went to number one more than once. Interesting. Some songs are not simply translations of his English hits, but exist only as originals in German and were never released outside of Germany. Do you consider making this a subject of maybe an extra episode? Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Ronald. I am planning to do that, Ronald. I didn't know if we were going to wait until the release of the On the Continent box set and maybe talk about it in one shot or split it up. I'm still not sure when, but we are eventually. And also, Paul Thompson wrote me and asked if we were going to be talking about the unreleased song Michelle, which was recorded around 1961 with Tony Meehan. We might get to that in a future show. I know that appears later on a compilation, but it's all percolating in my head. Thanks for all the comments and questions. It really makes doing this podcast feel worthwhile, so keep them coming. You can either email the show at wesayyeahpodcast at gmail.com or comment over on the We Say Yeah Facebook page or follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or Twitter. Now, I was very pleased to sit down and have a great discussion with Darren Price of the Rise Up Show on Cliff Richard Radio about an album that doesn't receive as much attention as I feel it should. It's a classic, as far as I'm concerned, the 21 Today album by Cliff and the Shadows from 1961. But, as always, I began the conversation by asking Darren how he got into Cliff and the Shadows in the first place. My story is my mum was a massive Cliff fan. My dad was a massive Elvis fan. And together, it was both their fault that I became a Cliff fan because I was born in 1978. Um, when I was about nine, ten months old, Cliff had a massive number one hit with We Don't Talk Anymore. Right. And mom, mom had the record. She used to play the record. And my dad, who was the Elvis fan, used to pick me up and dance me around the room to it. And when the record stopped, I used to cry. Oh. So they had to play that song over and over and over again. And that's where my love of Cliff Richard came from. My dad regretted it afterwards. Um, my mom won the Battle of Cliff versus Elvis in our house. <laughs> I took that record everywhere with me. And I can still remember when I was about three or four, I took it outside and I dropped it and it broke. I was devastated. I was so upset that my nan, who lived in a place called Smethwick, which is near Birmingham, she had to come over to where we lived, which was about 20 miles away in a little town called Bugley in Worcestershire. She had to come over and bring her copy of We Don't Talk Anymore for me 
to stop me from crying. And I've still got that copy to this day. Wow. I love the fact that your nan had an auxiliary copy of We Don't Talk Anymore (laughs) in case of emergency, you know. (laughs) And it's ironic for a song that's called We Don't Talk Anymore. In order for you to not cry, Cliff had to continue talking. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So that's how I became a Cliff fan. And um, my love for his music just went from there. And I think it was in 1984, my mom went to see Cliff in the Shadows at Birmingham's NEC. I was only what, four or five years of age, maybe going on six. So she didn't tell me that she went to see Cliff and the Shads. Um, but she did bring back a programme and a poster. And luckily, I got to see them years later in 2009. I've seen Cliff with Hank on stage before at different concerts, but it wasn't until 2009 that I actually got to see Cliff and the Shadows. And do you know what? That concert, I think, is still my favourite concert of all time. Very cool. So how does this lifelong fandom of Cliff Richard and the Shadows manifest itself into a radio program on Cliff Richard Radio? Rise up. So I listened to Cliff Richard Radio for a number of years, and I think Paul's done a fantastic job. He brings Cliff fans together from all over the world, and I think it is great to see. Um, But I used to be one of these that would listen, but I didn't get involved. And then... um, I've suffered with mental well-being over the last sort of decade, to be honest. And uh, it got to a point in late 2020 where I was in a really, really dark place. And luckily, I had great family support, friends, the company I work for. I got so much support. And the doctor said to me, Darren, you need to find things that make you happy. He said, what, what has always been your happy go-to place? Well, the answer for me was simple. The great outdoors and my record player. So I started getting my vinyls out again and listening to Cliff even more. I've always listened to Cliff, don't get me wrong, but I started, you know, getting out all the old EPs, the singles, etc. And then one day, um, the Dutch team, um, Theo and Gerard, sent me a message saying, we'd like you to guest host the Cliff Richard show for us on a Tuesday night. I was like, wow, me, really? Have you heard my accent? And, <laughs> and uh, they said, no, we want you to do it. So I did it. And... I was overwhelmed with the feedback that I got. And then I was walking up on the Morven Hills where I live about a week or two afterwards. And I came up with this show thinking, I've got so much joy and happiness out of Cliff and the Shadows music. Um, It's really helped me in my darkest times. Maybe, just maybe, it can help someone else. And then the thought came into my head, why don't I do a show called Rise Up? I sent Paul a message and said, look, I've had this crazy idea. He said, send me a um, a pilot. I like your idea. Send me a pilot. I sent him a pilot. And the message I got back was, when can you start? And that's how it came about. And I have to say, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I feel privileged that I get this opportunity every Sunday to play Cliff music. And I speak with Cliff fans on Facebook. It's an absolute joy, to be honest. And I've had quite a few messages over the last year and a half from Cliff fans and also from fans of music who may not be Cliff fans, but don't mind Cliff. They wouldn't be called Cliff fans telling me how much the music has helped them. And also I talk a little bit about mental well-being mm-hmm. in the show as well. And I've had so many messages and I think this is something really worthwhile. And for me, it is the biggest distraction technique I've ever had. My anxiety now is at an all-time low. And I think that's because of doing Cliff Richard Radio. Um, I've made some other changes in my work life as well. Um, but definitely having a show to concentrate on and think about and plan, it's just fantastic. And I'm very grateful that I get to do it. You know, it's not something I've ever talked about on uh, my podcast, but I have OCD and anxiety, and I can totally relate to what you're yeah. saying because I need positivity. You know, I was reading a book about the Beatles and there was a chapter in that book and it was sort of a snarky chapter about Cliff, but they mention in the book, you know, oh, Cliff, he's well known for his positive can-do attitude. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I need. It's inspirational and it comes through on the records. Yeah. So I'm I'm grateful to you for, for doing your show and it's, it's obviously helping a great many people. So... Let's talk about an album yeah. that came out October 14th, 1961. Hmm. 
What is the significance of that date? Well, it was the man's 21st birthday, hence the title 21 Today. When did you first hear, Darren, this album? So I've um, got a copy of it, which was a re-release in about 1983, which would have been my mom's album. Um, so I remember playing it a little bit then. But to be honest, back then I was more into the, you know, all the hits like The Young Ones, Summer Holiday, etc., and Cliff's mm-hmm. latest stuff. Um, but a few years later, it came out on CD for the first time in 1992. And I got this copy, and a friend of mine who was about seven years older than me, I can remember him, I was with him when I got it, and he just took the mickey out of me for buying a Cliff Richard album that had Happy Birthday as the first track. (laughs) He didn't get it. He didn't get it, and I kept trying to say to him, this is Cliff and the Shadows showing their sense of humour. But to him, he was like, no, no, they're just going to sing Happy Birthday to you. That's great, Dallin. What a great album. You know, he didn't want to know. Um, So, yeah, it was 1992 when I really started getting into the album. And then they re-released it again. And I think it was 98 for Cliff's 40th anniversary. Uh, They did an album um, which had all the songs on in mono and stereo as well. So I, I think it's, in my opinion, out of all the Cliff and the Shadows album, it's certainly in my top three. Forgetting the soundtrack albums, purely studio albums, I think it's definitely in my top three albums. Interesting. You know, out of all of the early Cliff and the Shadows albums, and I know there are some Nori Paramore Orchestra tracks on this, but out of all of those early Cliff and the Shads albums, this is my favorite. I get why. I get why it's your favorite. I do. For me, it's more balanced. It's more balanced, I think, than Cliff sings or listen to Cliff. Um, Yes. For me, the top three albums are Me and My Shadows, uh, 21 Today and established 1958. Those Ooh. for me. Yeah, for me. Oh, well, I'll have to have you back uh, when in, in, 15, <laughs> in 15 years when I get around to that album, but the, <laughs> the way things are going with this show. Okay, so track one on the album is Happy Birthday to You, recorded between July 20th and July 28th, 1961. And yes, of course, this is Cliff and the Shad's humor. It starts off like it's going to turn into Apache, and instead it becomes Happy Birthday to You, written and copyrighted by the Hill Sisters. A little bit of backstory, I guess, is that people assumed this was in public domain for years, and then it turns out it's a copyrighted song. So in movies, people sing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow or something else rather than pay the copyright. Anyway... I can't really make out what's being said. There's a party atmosphere going on, something about the shores and um, a very strong orange juice, (laughs) things like that. But the idea is that it's Cliff in the Shadows having a party with some friends. As I say, I think it's just their sense of humour. I think, I think the sense of humour Cliff and the Shads have got and have had over the years has always been there to see. And I think it's something that people don't talk about or don't appreciate as much as, as they should. I've certainly seen it live on stage, be it just Cliff and Hank when they've been together. I certainly saw it when Cliff and the Shads were together in 2009. And if you watch old you know, videos of them on YouTube or DVDs of their earlier shows, they've always had a sense of humour, which I love. I think we need more. more right. Let's, let's be happy. Let's, you know, life's tough. Life is really tough at times. So there's nothing wrong with having a little laugh and a bit of a sense of humour. And it's always a very endearing, self-deprecating humour and a lot of teasing back and forth. Absolutely, because they talk about, you know, Cliff being 21 and... You know, if someone says, I think it might be Cliff himself says, you know, oh, well, Jet should know because obviously Jet's the elder, the eldest right. of the shadows at the time. They've always laughed at and with each other, which I think is great. So then we get to track two on side one, 40 Days, recorded on July 4th, 1961. And this was written by Chuck Berry, originally titled 30 Days. I think that. Cliff and the Shads may have based their version on the version by Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, which was retitled 40 Days. Ah! 
But having said that, it's its own creation. I mean, the Chuck Berry version's great. Ronnie Hawkins' version is also good. I think that Cliff Richard and the Shadows take this song and realize its full potential. I'm going to give you 40 days to get back. I'm going to call up the gypsy woman on my telephone. I'm gonna tell the world what to do That'll be the very thing that I do do I'm gonna see that you'll be back home In 40 days Yeah, 40 days 40 days 40 days I'm gonna see that you'll be back home In 40 days You know, I think this shows what a great rock and roll band Cliff and the Shadows were And sometimes I think we forget that Because they had such success with the Young Ones, Summer Holiday, The Next Time, Living Doll, which to me are all great pop songs. We forget sometimes. They were a great rock and roll band. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't want to upset any Beatles fans out there, but I think musically the Shadows are superior to the Beatles. Mu- musically, maybe not songwriting, um, but I do think the Shadows, when it comes to, you know, musicians and Cliff, I know I'm biased as a vocalist, I don't think you get any better. I'm going to upset so many Beatles fans when I say this. Yes, in their songwriting, I totally agree. You know, the Beatles are just, just, they're touched by magic. Um, I think the big difference is that the Shadows are virtuoso musicians. I mean, the Beatles would get there. Paul McCartney would get to the level that Cliff is at here vocally, and eventually he would get to the level of of a Jet Harris. I mean, you know, he's incredible. Much like the Beatles, you know, Cliff and the Shadows can take someone else's song and totally transform it. You know, I've always enjoyed the music of the Beatles, and I think people sometimes forget that Brian Epstein took the Beatles to see Cliff and the Shadows. You know, say, look, if you want to be big, and you can be big boys, and of course they they blew it all out of the water. They went on to do things that only other people could dream of. But they went to see Cliff in the Shadows because Brian said, look, that's what you've got to be like on stage. You know, yeah. and uh, over the years, I think, you know, sometimes Cliff in the Shadows haven't got the recognition they deserve. And there's always been this thing about, you know, John Lennon was very critical of, of Cliff in the Shadows. But actually, I've read quite a lot of positive vibes from him. Certainly have read a lot of positivity from Paul McCartney over the years as well. Hey, they liked him enough to cover Move It during the Get Back sessions. So, I'm glad we had this great praise for 40 days because now this is I'm going to get slightly critical on, on this Tepper and Bennett song called Catch Me which I believe is the earliest recording on this September 9th 1960 it's the return of that theme for a dream sound with the female backing vocalists and you know I was thinking about this I thought how am I going to approach this when I speak to Darren and I I the, the problem for me is I live in horror that I'm going to say something critical about how cloying these background vocalists are. And just my luck, like the daughter or the granddaughter or something of one of these vocalists is going to hear this <laughs> and send me a nasty email. So I'm going to say for... For what they're doing, they were asked to do something and they did it to the best of their ability. Everybody was satisfied, but I just don't think it works. What was in that kiss you gave me? Never felt like this. Please save me. Catch me in your arms, I've fallen for you, little girl. It doesn't work. I completely no. agree with you. Um, I really enjoyed your podcast with Erica Weiss. 
Oh, yes, yes. You talked about Theme for a Dream, because that's got to be my most disliked Cliff in the Shadow song, Theme for a Dream. And you are absolutely right. We hear it again in this song. Now, I don't know if you've got a copy of Cliff's um, The Rock and Roll Years box. I do. I do. There's a version of Catch Me on there, original, undubbed, without the backing vocalists. And that's okay. I can listen to that song. I can enjoy that song. So why did they feel the need to put the female backing vocalists on it? Because for me, it, it ruins the song. And for me, it's also probably the weakest song on this album. What was in that kiss you gave me Never felt like this Please save me Catch me in your arms I've fallen for you, little girl So we'll set Catch Me aside. <laughs> and uh, we won't catch catch me, and we'll get to a song recorded on January twentieth, nineteen sixty one. How wonderful to know! This is an Italian song originally titled "Here I Go," and I'm part Italian. Anima e core, I believe. I think. Um, no shadows on this. This is Nori Paramore and his orchestra with the Mike Sam Singers. I like this song. It sounds like the kind of thing that Dean Martin would have recorded around the same time. How wonderful to know Sunshine and laughter That fills my empty heart With love yeah i think so i think cliff's voice sounds really strong on this ballad i also think he sounds more comfortable singing with an orchestra on this album yes versus listen to cliff and cliff sings i think cliff has grown into being able to sing with the orchestra rather than just with the shadows he sounds stronger for it and um, maybe that's because he's had a bit more time. Nori Palmore's grown as a producer as well. Uh, but he, he certainly sounds much better. I, I, Cliff Sings and Listen to Cliff are not my favourite Cliff albums, to be honest. Um, I struggle with the balance of those albums. But as a, as, a ballad, as a ballad, I really enjoy this song. Yeah, I've said it before that something happened around this time, 60-61, where either Cliff, just through experience, became a much more confident vocalist or maybe he had some lessons, I don't know, but it's like a, the light switch flicked on and he is approaching, and boy, I don't like to use this word, this is an overused word in rock music, but it's it's appropriate here. And I'm confident in saying he is approaching genius level of singing at this point. In fact, you couldn't get more different from How Wonderful to Know than the next cut, Tough Enough, recorded January 28th, 1961. This was written by Johnny Otis of Willie and the Hand Jive fame. Cliff and the Shadows loved recording Johnny Otis numbers. And this would have fit right in on the Me and My Shadows album. My pretty baby, she looks so fine. Almost drove me out of my mind. Suddenly she kind of whispered low. She said, Daddy, Daddy, I love you. When you think about it, this album was being recorded at a time where friction between the shadows, certainly between Bruce and Tony, was increasing. You know, Tony me and left, I think, just before this album was released. Cliff and the Shadows went off to Australia with um, Brian Bennett as, as their drummer. So I think Cliff and the Shadows sound fantastic on this album. And again, they've had a few years of working together, working with Nori Paramore. Um, but yeah, to think that at the time there was friction growing, you don't hear it on the album because I think they sound probably at their best in that lineup that we had with Tony and Jet. So we move on to number six, another song recorded January 30th, 1961. 50 Tears for Every Kiss, and this is with Nori Paramore's orchestra, the Mike Sam Singers. I 
love this track. You know, it's at this point, even the album cuts are good. You know, uh, at times I felt like I was hearing filler on some of the other albums, like yeah. Listen to Cliff. And um, I don't feel that way about this album. I mean, this is a standard pop song of the day, but Cliff sings it perfectly. And the string arrangement here is so strange that it holds your interest. Oh, I bought so many kisses When I didn't know the cost But the time has come to pay you For the love that I have lost Fifty tears for every kiss, dear I really enjoy it. And again, I, I don't want to keep going on about listening to Cliff and Cliff Sings. It almost feels on those albums that Cliff has been forced to sing those songs with the orchestra. And I know that his manager at the time, uh, Tito Burns, was trying to sort of keep Cliff in the shadows or drive a wedge in between them, which I don't think was a good idea when you've got the shadows. Why do you need to put Cliff with another right. group of musicians? You know? um, but again, I think his vocals on this song He's now a ballad singer. He's not just a rock and roll singer. He, he, he is a ballad singer. And of course, over the years, you know, I've heard so many great ballads by Cliff, either in the studio or live on stage. And this is where, like you said, that light bulb moment came along. Something's clicked and he can do it. He's a ballad singer. We get to the next cut recorded on July 4th, 1961 for us folks in America. That was a good 4th of July over in Great Britain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a day that would divide us. Uh, it turns out to be a good one here. The, the Night is So Lonely, written by uh, Gene Vincent and Clifton Simmons. This is going to be another controversial statement I'm going to make. I've heard the Gene Vincent version. Then the night is so lonely and I dream of you only. It's hard for me to knock the original, but again, I think Cliff and the Shadows just do a better job of it. completely agree and again I know I'm biased I'm a massive Cliff fan but normally when I hear an original by someone else I'm like mm, you can't beat the original I think Cliff and the Shads do beat the original yeah. on this one it's a great doo-wop kind of a song yeah. and they, the harmonies are fantastic everything about it is just great yeah. next up a song recorded April 19th 1961 Poor Boy written by a Jim McIntyre. I had to look and see, is this another Nori Paramore um, pseudonym? <laughs> this actually must have been a real Jim McIntyre. Yeah. Um, it's a classic, acoustic-driven, moody kind of a song. And you know, when I listen to this album, the combination and that balance you mentioned, that very good balance between pop music of the day, rock and roll tracks with the shadows, this song, Poor Boy, I feel helps to represent everything that was happening in music in 1961. All the different styles, everything that was happening, it's all represented on this album. It won't work, oh boy, don't you try again. You've hit the nail on the head there. I don't think I can add anything to it because what you said is absolutely right. I love it. I think it's a great way to finish the first half of the album. Yes. 
moody, introspective, and you need a little levity right after that. And and you get it with the first of the Shadows uh, written tracks on the album, uh, Ya Riva, written by uh, Bruce and Hank, recorded on July 11th, 1961. Um, There's a lot of hooping and hollering on this uh, in Spanish. It sounds like the kind of song, I don't know if you're familiar with Jay and the Americans in the 60s, but they did these kind of South American pastiche songs and had big hits with them. It sounds like something they could have recorded too. It's a lot of fun. Anytime there's any trouble there, you're bound to hear his cry ringing through the air. You know, we talked earlier about Happy Birthday. You hear one of the shadows shout Yeriva during that little intro. Ah. And I really enjoy this song. I think, again, it's a sense of humour. Uh, if you fast forward, and I don't want to take away from established 1958 and the podcast that you will do with that, there's a similar theme song of fun on that album, um, Somewhere by the Sea, where you get that sense of humour. Not only is it sense of humour, but I think it's a great song. I really yeah. like it. It's a fun-filled song. And then, again, I've got this thing about how you start an album, how you finish the first half, and then how you start the second half. And I think this is a great introduction to the second half of the album. I really enjoy it. Next up, we get a song that was originally intended for the soundtrack for The Young Ones, but was left off. And uh, it's a Tepper and Bennett number, another Nori Paramore Orchestra with the Mike Sam Singers. I like it. Outsider, January 30th, 1961. Someone else is in your arms tonight While I'm all alone in blue Someone else will kiss and hold you tight Just the way I used to do I used to be your love And now I'm your used to be Outsider, that's me. Yeah. Um, so as you say, it was written for uh, the young ones. My understanding is no one was 100% happy with it or sold on it. So it ended up on 21 today. I really enjoy it again. Are the backing vocalists needed? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I would say that this is the next weakest after catch me this would be you know i i think it's i think it's quality all the way after this but yeah. um that would be the one that's a little a little dubious but enjoyable i mean if that's yeah. if, if those are the worst on the album you're do, still doing pretty good absolutely do i skip it when i listen to the album no i listen straight through it you know so that's a good sign for me um yep. i can understand though why they didn't use it for the young ones yeah i don't even know where you would put it in the movie yeah july 4th 1961 again they recorded t for two the standard uh this was originally written for the musical no no nanette the shadows playing brilliantly here as they always do when they tackle standards cliff he sings this to perfection it's again it's genius level singing and i like the you know it, it develops into a cha-cha uh in the middle it's it's just a lot of fun we will raise a family boys for you and a girl for me can't you see how happy we could be Would think this was a brand new song that they've created, produced, and put together. I love it. I think it's a great song. And when I found out, you know, a few years ago, it's an old Broadway number, I was a little bit shocked, to be honest, because for me, it sounds like it was, I'm not sure the year it was originally written, but 
it was for me it feels like it was in 1961. Yeah, again, hearkening back to that episode I did with Erica White when we covered the Dream EP, I think what's most impressive about The Shadows is, you know, when rock bands cover standards or Broadway numbers, they tend to simplify them and rock them up a bit because, you know, it's more in keeping with their style and maybe musically it's a little harder to play, so they they make it very simple. The Shadows, on the other hand, it's just like, oh, you want us to be a jazz combo? Great. Well, let's do it. And they just become one like it's nothing, you know, <laughs> like it requires no effort for them to switch from being expert rock musicians to expert small jazz combo. I, it's astonishing. You know, they're masters of all music, all genres. That's, I think, what's most impressive about them. So next up, to Prove My Love For You, recorded on January 30th, 1961. Song written by Don Wolf and Ben Raleigh, again with the Nori Paramore Orchestra. Typically great is what I could say about this. I mean, Cliff's vocals again, note perfect. This song sounds like it may have come from an earlier era, like a, maybe a Guy Mitchell record from the mid-50s, but it's still really well done. I mean, this is the definition of easy listening music, and there ain't nothing wrong with that at all. This is wonderful. I wouldn't turn it off. I haven't dated anyone since we first met I kissed you and I made a vow I won't forget What else can I do To prove my love for you Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. It's not one of my favourite songs, but I really enjoy it. And I think the good thing about this album, apart from Catch Me, I might skip that every now and then. Right. Um, was certainly the one with, not, not on the rock and roll album, because I like the undubbed version, but... Again, I would not skip past this song. I, I really enjoy it. So we get to track 13, a song recorded July 11th, 1961, written by Hank Bruce and Cliff. It's a song called Without You, and this is, I think, Cliff's best Elvis-inspired vocal on the record. And as a song, as an original, it's a shame that Elvis himself didn't record it. He's probably the only other person that I could imagine singing this song and maybe doing a, a better job at it, but it's it's just wonderful. It's a great rock song. I don't want to go to a movie show or go on a kiss and spree. I don't want to go out dancing if you're not there with me. I won't go without you. I want you with me everywhere Cause you are just my kind It's a fantastic rock song. It's my favourite song on the album. Um, and I think it just shows how great Cliff and the Shadows were. And to think that Cliff, Hank and Bruce wrote it, why didn't they write more together? Yes. Because when they did write songs together over the years, they always had top quality songs. Some were hits, some were B-sides, but... For me, they were brilliant. And I always laugh when Cliff says, I'm not a songwriter. Cliff, oh. you were. You were a songwriter. And I completely agree. I think Elvis could have done a fantastic, fantastic copy of this. I just love Cliff's vocals. I love the lyrics. Um, it's a song I play a lot on the Rise Up show, to be honest. There are two things that Cliff says that drive me crazy. One is like, well, I'm not a songwriter. Oh, I go, oh my God, look look at all those credits that you have, all those songs yeah. that you contributed to. You are a songwriter. And the other one is, he goes, well, I'm not a musician. I really don't play. What are you talking about? He's, he's a fine guitarist. It drives me crazy. It drives me up the wall because Hank Marvin, who to me is the greatest guitarist of all time. I know that's a bold statement and I know there are fantastic guitarists out there, but if you said to me, Darren, name me the greatest guitar player of all time, I would always say Hank Marvin. After that, I would probably say you know, the likes of Brian May, Mark Knopfler. Mm -hmm. Sure. Hank Marvin just comes to mind. Hank himself has said that Cliff is a great guitarist. Surely that's enough to give you confidence to say, I'm a musician. When you've got Hank Marvin saying that. I love it when I watch Cliff on YouTube now, on DVDs, when he's just there with his guitar. Some of the concerts I went to in the 1980s, 
uh, when I started going with my mom, Cliff would do the first half pretty much on his own, acoustically with his guitar. Fantastic guitar player. I still want Cliff, and I know he's 81, nearly 82 now, but I would still love Cliff to do an acoustic unplugged album. Well, maybe that's what we're getting. We have no idea what we're getting in December. I would, I mean, I would love to hear that. And also I noticed in, and obviously, you know, he's an older gentleman now that in the great 80 tour, he was seated for some of the songs. Well, there's a perfect opportunity to, you know, break out the guitars, take a rest, play. So, Next up on the album, a song recorded January 30th, 1961, written by Eddie Curtis, a song called A Mighty Lonely Man. And I like this song, although it does remind me of the song Young Love by Sonny Curtis, later covered by Tab Hunter. It's a similar melody. Yeah. say for every boy and girl there's just one love in this whole world and I know I found mine I thought my life had happiness until I felt your warm caress I really thought I had it made until I met you then I knew I'd been a mighty lonely man. I think it's one of my favourite songs of Cliff with the Nobby Palmer Orchestra on, on this album. Um, again, though, I'm not sure. There's a part where a female backing vocalist comes in. I don't think we need that. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> by the way, I love female vocalists. I just want to put that out there. But I think... <laughs> We don't want, I can see it now. That'll be the headline people will take from this. Darren hates female singers. I, I love female vocalists. And I love all the duets Cliff has done with the likes of Olivia Newton-John over the years. But I don't think it's needed in this song because it's quite a sad song. I just think that vocalist takes, it takes the edge off the song. I just don't think it's needed. But that's only my opinion, of course. Right. You can disagree, folks, and you can make your voices heard <laughs> over on over on Darren's Facebook page. <laughs> so the next to last track, the penultimate track on this album is a version of My Blue Heaven recorded on April 19th, 1961, written by George Whiting and Walter Donaldson. So many people have recorded versions of this. Uh, Fats Domino, the same year this came out, 1961, Frank Sinatra had a great version. I will say that this version stands up alongside any of those versions. It's as good as the Fats Domino or the Sinatra. It's it's just stellar. Just take a turn to the right You'll see a little white light It'll lead you to my Heaven, it's just a smiling face, a fireplace, a cozy room. It's a lover's nest that nestles where the roses bloom. Just my Molly and me. Where I come from, my family um, are massive West Bromwich Albion fans, so that football, soccer, as you Americans call it. Um, we wear blue and white stripes. So to have a song called My Blue Heaven, when my football team wins, uh-huh. I play this song. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm a fan of the New York Jets and their colors, green and white. I should listen to Green Light every time. Well, they don't win often, so I'll listen to it every time we lose. <laughs> so the last cut on this album is Shame on You, recorded uh, July 11th, 1961. This is... Hank Marvin, Bruce Welsh, and someone named Kevin Jacobson, who I don't know anything about, but it's not uncommon for the Shadows to have like a friend (laughs) come in and and write for them. Um, At some point in this song, you mentioned female backing vocalists. Well, at some point in this song, the Shadows, um, they have backing vocals that are really high, and they almost sound a bit... Not like a female backing vocalist, but like the Bee Gees almost. However, 
It's a great rock song. It works. I mean, it, yeah, it works. This one actually works. It works. <laughs> yeah, you took my heart and you tried to break it. You gave it to me back when you knew you couldn't make it. You stamp your feet, pretend to cry. Oh, honey, wow, why? Oh, naughty girl. Oh, naughty girl. What you trying to do? What you trying to do? Oh, naughty girl. Shame on you. Yeah. You know, having seen Cliff and the Shadows live on stage, and this is when they were, you know, in their 60s back in 2009, uh, nearly 70, actually, Cliff was. Um, they were backing vocalists on stage for Cliff when I saw them live. And I thought it worked really well. It really brought them together as a unit. So why they didn't use their backing vocals more over the years, I don't know. I don't get that. But I it- think it's a great song to finish a great album. And for me, this is one of the great albums by any rock band ever. And it's weird to feel like I'm, you know, on a mission to champion it because this was a successful album in its day. Yeah, well, it was a number one. It was his first number one uh, album. And um, to me, this is Cliff and the Shadows in their prime. Yes. You know, if you think 1961, obviously they had 1962 with the young ones, 1962 with Summer Holiday just before the Beatles came along. But at this point in time, they rule, they are head and shoulders above anyone else, uh, certainly in British music. And, you know, I would go as far as saying maybe across the world as well. But again, I am biased. I, I would say too. I mean, it's it's we in America, we were still waiting for the Beach Boys to come along and other big groups. It hadn't happened yet. So this would be... Again, I mean, Elvis released the Something for Everybody album, fine album, but I don't think it's as good as this. I'm going to now get letters from the Elvis fans. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) well, I'm glad we got to talk about this very, very positive experience listening to this album again. And I, I just listened to it yesterday and I was loving every minute of it. 16 tracks, top shelf all the way. And I want to thank you again for coming on and uh, chatting about this this record that I love. And this is, I hinted in the last podcast, this is my favorite uh, Cliff Richard and the Shadows album. Well, I'm very grateful you've asked me. This has been great for me. I always love talking about Cliff and the Shadows. And uh, I love your podcasts. I think all the guests that you've had on over the over the, the period of time have been fantastic. I really enjoy listening to everyone's opinions on Cliff and the Shadows. So long may your podcast continue. Well, thank you. And hopefully it will, because I've got 60 years of music to get through. It's going to take me take me forever. Before you go, where can people go to uh, give us all the, your information on your show and the page? Yeah, sure. So I've got the Rise Up Show Facebook group. Um, my show is every Sunday, 8 p.m. UK time on Cliff Richard Radio. So you can hear that by going to cliffrichardradio.co.nz. <laughs> My thanks once again to Darren Price for appearing on the show this month, and we'll have to have him come back on. We're not going to wait 15 years. We'll have to have him on sooner than that. Next month, our guest will be Jamie Kay, host of the Jungle Room podcast, and she'll utilize her intimate knowledge of Elvis Presley's film career to discuss the first starring vehicle for Cliff, The Young Ones. So that'll be next month. You know, I wanted to dedicate this episode of the show to the memory of Olivia Newton-John, who passed away while we were putting it together. I wrote something on Facebook, and I wanted to read it out on the podcast, and it's sort of my little tribute to Olivia. And then afterwards, some of our listeners are also going to uh, share some tributes to Olivia. When I was a kid, everybody loved Olivia Newton-John. It didn't matter if you were into pop, heavy metal, or new wave. We all just agreed on ONJ. She kind of radiated unfiltered goodness to a generation. Sure, she was ridiculously beautiful. But it wasn't the intimidating beauty of someone like Debbie Harry. Olivia seemed super friendly. Like I could show her my Star Trek action figures and not get judged for it. I guess you could say she was the quintessential girl next door. Man, she had some great singles. You know, for years, I only owned Olivia's Greatest Hits Volume 2, but it seemed like enough. 
Her voice would float effortlessly over those hit records, carrying with it just a hint of grit. Rolling Stone magazine said it best in her obituary yesterday when they said she could sing anything from light pop to substantial songcraft and never once sound phony. Her long and brave battle with breast cancer turned her into an inspiration for so many women. She never seemed to lose her sparkle, even as personal setbacks piled up. She was largely out of the public eye, but when she did pop back into frame, it was reassuring. The 1980 poster that I uploaded to my Facebook page was once used to promote the film Xanadu. In the film, Olivia Newton-John played an angelic presence dropped from heaven to inspire mankind. My running joke for years was that I considered it a documentary. I was only half kidding. Rest in peace, Olivia. This is Fred Velez. Uh, my thoughts on the passing of Olivia Newton-John, very sad. Obviously, Grease and a lot of her great pop tunes I really enjoyed. Um, one particular Olivia Newton-John memory I have is that several years ago, me and my wife Linda had tickets to see Ringo uh, at a show, and it was in New Jersey, and I thought it was at the Bergen Pack. So we went to the Bergen Pack. We had dinner before going to the show. We went there. We didn't see any Ringo fans, but we saw a lot of uh, stuff for Olivia Newton-John, and we realized we were at the wrong venue. Um, Olivia was playing the Bergen Pack, so we had to rush to get to the theater that Ringo was playing. Now, if uh, I had known that this would have been our only chance to see Olivia, I probably would have eaten the, the Ringo tickets, and we would have stayed to see Olivia. I made it up to Linda by buying her a uh, live DVD and a CD of her hits. But that's my Olivia Newton-John memory. God bless her soul. Hi, this is Danielle from Dallas. My memory of Olivia centers around the song, Suddenly. The song really showcases the beautiful voices of Cliff and Olivia. I've always wanted to see them perform the song, and I was lucky to be in the audience the evening of Cliff's 75th birthday at the Royal Albert Hall in London when Cliff invited Olivia on stage to sing the duet with him. It was a perfect evening. They both sounded fantastic, and they both looked so happy. I think this may have been their last public performance. Rest in peace, Olivia. Say yeah.